Well, today's message is the last in a 10-part series in the life of Joseph called Bloom Where You're Planted. We've, we've come a long way from the day his brothers sold him into slavery as a teenager. He subsequently was shipped to Egypt and later uh, and he was uh, unjustly accused of rape and incarcerated. There, Joseph was forgotten. For years, he lived in the bowels of an Egyptian prison. But one day, Joseph the dreamer was summoned by Pharaoh, who needed his dream interpreted. And Joseph was up to the task. He understood from Pharaoh's dream that there would be seven years of prosperity, followed by seven years of severe famine. Joseph was so confident and so competent that think of this Pharaoh hired him on the spot and made him overseer of the task of storing away one-fifth of the grain during the time of plenty and then distributing it from the stockpiles during the time of drought eventually the famine was upon them and it spread beyond Egypt into the land of Canaan where the brothers of Joseph lived with their father Jacob Eventually, the brothers were dispatched by Jacob to buy food from Zaphnath Paenea, the seller of corn, who was in reality their brother, Joseph, incognito. After testing his brothers through a series of fascinating mind games and determining they had matured and repented, Joseph revealed his true identity to his brothers and invited his family to join him in Egypt, to live there in the land of Goshen, and they did. As a result, Jacob had 17 more years with the son who was ironically taken from him at the age of 17 by the deception and malicious actions of his sons, the brothers of Joseph. Last week in part 9, Jacob, Joseph's father, died at the ripe old age of 147, and Joseph was in mourning. And this is where we pick up our story, Genesis 50, one final time, part 10, bloom where you're planted. Today, we find Joseph in victory. Genesis 50, if you have your Bible open, beginning in verse 4, it says, And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, verse 5, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die in my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now therefore, Joseph said, Let me go up and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said in verse 6, Go up, bury your father, according as he made you swear. And Joseph went up to bury his father. And with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders in the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph and his brothers and his father's house, only the little ones and their flocks and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. Verse 9, and there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. Verse 12, and his sons did unto him according as he commanded him. For his sons, 
Jacob's sons, carried him into the land of Canaan, buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with the field for a possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. And Joseph returned to Egypt, it says in verse 14, he and his brethren and all that went up with him to bury his father. Jacob was dead. And now the days of mourning were over. It was back to real life. It wouldn't be the same without Jacob. Joseph, I'm sure, had gotten used to having him around. Now there would be a new normal. And the brothers of Joseph were more than a little concerned of what that new normal would look like. After all, Joseph was a very powerful man. He was second in command in all the land of Egypt. He had, had he been hiding his anger? Was he storing up revenge for this day when their father was out of the picture? Would he now unleash punishment upon his brothers? It's clear that his brothers feared the thought. You'll see in verse 16 of chapter 50 that they dared not even approach him. They sent a messenger. Verse 15 says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us. He will certainly requite or require of us all the evil that we did unto him. And they sent a messenger to Joseph, saying, Your father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say to Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil unto thee. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of your servants, of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke unto him. And his brothers also went in and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. This would be the last of five times that Joseph's brothers fulfilled the dream from way back in chapter 37. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, Joseph had told his brothers, and lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and bowed down and made obeisance to my sheaf. The brothers, you'll remember, had scoffed at the idea that they would ever bow down to their younger brother. But it had come to pass, not once, not twice, but five times. Now the brothers wondered if Joseph was merely waiting for the day their father was gone before lowering the boom. And this is where we begin to discover the secrets of Joseph living in victory. Beginning in verse 19 of chapter 50, it says, And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? Fear not. Am I in the place of God? Verse 20, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it to pass as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now therefore, fear not. I will nourish you. And I will nourish your little ones. And he comforted them, it says in verse 21. And he spoke kindly to them. 
Now let's end the series with three things that we can learn from the man Joseph, who we've gotten to know so well over the course of the summer of 2018. Let's look at three secrets of Joseph living in victory. The first is the secret of fruitfulness. Remember, Joseph had been sold into slavery and purchased by Potiphar off of the Midianite auction block. It was all very cruel and very malicious. What would his reaction be to the unfair treatment? He chose to be faithful. He was so faithful, in fact, that he went on to become a trusted servant and an administrator in the house of Potiphar. But then came the unfounded accusations of rape and his incarceration in prison. What was his reaction to this injustice? Again, he chose to be faithful. Because of his faithfulness, he went on to become chief steward of all the prisoners. He actually became the overseer of the jail. And then, when Pharaoh called, and Joseph was entrusted with all the responsibility of the kingdom of Egypt by Pharaoh himself, he chose to apply the very same principle, faithfulness. The secret of Joseph's fruitfulness was his faithfulness. Proverbs 28.20 says, A faithful man will abound with blessings. It doesn't say a fruitful man. It says, a faithful man will abound with blessings. Matthew 25, 21 pictures the response of Jesus as we enter into his presence at the end of our earthly journey. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Now enter into the joy of the Lord. Note that the reward isn't for fruitfulness. It's for faithfulness. Faithfulness was the secret of Joseph's fruitfulness. We're often hung up on the results. We're very results-oriented. We're very outcome-based. But in reality, we're best suited to leaving the results with God and just continuing to be faithful. It's the only part we can control anyway. So be like Joseph. Be faithful in the pit of adversity. So be like Joseph. Be faithful on the job. Be like Joseph. Be faithful in the prison of your circumstances. Be faithful on the good days and be faithful on the bad days. Be faithful when you're riding the, the wave of success. And, and be faithful when you're dragging an anchor and paddling upstream. Be faithful when your heart is heavy. Be faithful in the midst of disappointment. Be faithful when you feel like it. And be faithful when you don't. Because the key to fruitfulness is faithfulness. And when it comes time for your ultimate reward, it will not be based on your fruitfulness. It will be based on your faithfulness. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now what was the secret 
of his strength. Joseph found himself in some pretty lousy spots. Yet in every situation, he endured and he excelled. How did he remain strong in tough situations and over such a long period of time? What was the secret of Joseph's strength? It sounds basic and it sounds like a pat answer, but stick with me through this. In every situation, Joseph found himself and he drew his strength from his trust in God. Now hear me, church. If you only get one thing out of this sermon, get this. Trusting in God gives you the ability to think big picture. Lacking trust in God makes you a slave to your circumstances. The Bible says in Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and to them that are the called according to His purpose. Trusting in God means we realize that not all things are good, but that all things can work together for good. That's big picture thinking. Joseph chose to see life as a giant tapestry, beautiful in its completed state, but behind the scenes, on the back side of the image, are all the threads intertwined in, in seemingly chaotic fashion. Joseph always believed God could weave the circumstances of life together in a way that would bring glory and honor to his name. Joseph trusted God had a greater good in mind, even in difficult times. In order to think big picture, you have to trust God. And big picture thinking is what gives you strength in difficult times. Can you say amen to that? Joseph's strength was derived from his trust in God. And we all, we all get that idea. We would all say we trust in God. The challenge is trusting God when it's, when it's you in the middle of the dark hour. The challenge in trusting God is when it's you in the middle of a difficult time. When it's your loved one who died. When it's your job that's been eliminated. When it's your spouse that's been unfaithful. When it's your kid who went bad on you. When it's your doctor on the other end of the line giving you bad news. Can you trust God then? Joseph did. And it was the secret to his strength. He always believed God was in control. That God would somehow, someway, see him through. Joseph never saw God as the problem. He always saw God as the answer. We're talking about the three secrets of Joseph living in victory. The first was the secret to his fruitfulness was his faithfulness. The second was the secret to his strength was his trust in God. And finally, the secret of joy. We all want, we all want to have joy, right? Who doesn't want to know the secret of joy? And yet, so many seem to lack joy. What are they missing? What's the secret to joy, to joy. Joseph knew. Joseph understood the secret to joy was forgiveness. 
It all came together there in Genesis 50, verses 19 and 20. It's, Joseph said unto his brothers, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it to pass as it is this day to save many people. Joseph chose forgiveness. Forgiveness is another one of those concepts that we nod our head in agreement to until we're the one slighted, until we're the one injured, we're the one neglected or abused or, or harmed or abandoned. Then forgiveness becomes more than a concept or a principle. It becomes something that we have to walk through ourselves. And certainly that was the case for Joseph. There's no one in the annals of Scripture other than Jesus himself who deserved his mistreatment less than Joseph did. And yet, like Jesus, Joseph chose to forgive. And he discovered it to be the secret of joy. Forgiveness is not approval of what they did. It's not justifying what they did. It doesn't mean we pretend nothing happened. It doesn't mean we, we have to minimize the wrong or pretend we're not hurt. Forgiveness, in fact, is knowing we were wronged and choosing to forgive anyway. Forgiveness is most definitely, church, a choice and not a feeling. Forgiveness is being merciful and allowing God to be the one to carry out the punishment, should he choose to do so. Acknowledging that vengeance is God's and his alone. When I, when I picture all that happened to Joseph, and as I walked through it week by week over the summer in preparation for each message, I found myself frustrated for Joseph. There's, there's just no better guy in, in all of the 66 books of the Bible. He's a, he's a picture of Jesus himself, and yet over and over again he's abused and mistreated and forgotten. No one had more reason to be bitter. No one could make a better case for being angry with God and angry with life than our guy, Joseph. But Joseph chose a different path. Joseph chose forgiveness. Forgiveness, they say, is the willingness to abandon your quest for a better past. Unforgiveness is holding on to a hope that we can right all the wrongs in our life, and that in so doing, we will undo all the unfair pain, and we will somehow be able to recapture all of the lost time and receive all of the recompense that we deserve. I can tell you now, it'll never happen that way. Your pursuit of a better past will be consuming, and it will be futile. Forgiveness is a choice that will not change your past, but it will enlarge 
your future. Forgiveness, they say, will set the prisoner free. And what you eventually discover is that you're the prisoner. Two final thoughts on the secret of joy, which is forgiveness. First, you will never be more Christ-like than when you forgive. Do you want to be Christ-like? Then choose to forgive. It was from the cross, you'll remember, with blood pouring from his body and precious few minutes of life left in him with his murderers standing below him, hammers still in hand. That Jesus uttered the words that echo down the corridors of time and are still heard today. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They hadn't apologized or repented or asked Jesus to forgive them. He just did. He chose the way of forgiveness. He chose the way of freedom. He chose the way of life. Mark Twain said it well when he said, Forgiveness is the fragrance the violet sheds on the heel that crushed it. You'll never be more Christ-like than when you choose the way of forgiveness. And second, you must forgive in order to be forgiven. The Bible says in Matthew 6, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew 11, 25 and 26. And when you stand praying, when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. It's here that if becomes the biggest word in the Bible. If you forgive others, God will forgive you. If you do not forgive others, God will withhold forgiveness from you. I extend mercy to others because I am so desperately in need of it myself. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. Unforgiveness, it has been said, is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Our bitterness consumes us. We die in agonizing death moment by moment and day by day because unforgiveness is poisoning our system. Forgiveness, Joseph reminds us, is the secret to joy. While the epic tale of the life of Joseph ends as the book of Genesis draws to a close. Verse 22 of chapter 50 says, And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, 
And Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. And the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into the land which he swore unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones out of here. And Joseph died, verse 26, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. This is where our series ends. This is where the life of Joseph ends. And this is where the book of Genesis ends. The book of Genesis, which, which began with such promise, in the beginning, God. Ironically ends with the phrase, in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph is dead. Turn ahead in your Bible one page, Exodus 1.8, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. The Hebrew people, graciously brought to Egypt by Joseph during a time of famine, would eventually become a threat to the new Pharaoh. And as a result, they enter a period of terrible bondage and suffering. But a day of deliverance would come through another servant, through another prophet, through another vessel. His name would be Moses. He would bring the Jewish people out of Egypt and back to Canaan. But it wouldn't be for 400 years. It's a sermon series for another day. In the meantime, we remember the three secrets to Joseph living in victory. Number one, the secret to fruitfulness is faithfulness. Number two, the secret to strength is trust in God. Number three, the secret to joy is forgiveness. And the amazing things, church, the amazing thing is these are things that no one can keep you from. There are no circumstances that can hinder your faithfulness. Things can keep you from being fruitful, but you can always be faithful. There are no situations that can cause you not to trust in God. You can always choose to take God at His word. And there is no event, there is no condition that can keep you from forgiving. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice that you make. Make good choices. And you'll have a fruitful life infused with strength and saturated with joy. And if you do, you will bloom where you're planted. Would you bow your head with me? Lord, we all want to be like Joseph in a sense. He just seemed to trust you. And as we learned throughout the, the weeks, 
in the worst of circumstances, whether it was the bowels of the Egyptian prison, whether it was in that pit that his brothers threw him in, or somewhere sold into slavery, over and over again it says, the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. And so Lord, we learn that that means that you're always with us. Even on those days when we can't see you. Even on those days when it feels like our, our, pr- our prayers don't make it past the ceiling. We choose to believe by faith that you're there and that you hear us. And there's an answer coming. It may not play out the way we think it should. But you hear the cry of our heart. And all things work together for good. It doesn't mean that all things are good. But all things can work together for good. To those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. We see these circumstances that Joseph found himself in. It seems so unfair. And yet he chose to trust you. In every setting he found himself, he was faithful. And in the end, he would find himself fruitful. He trusted you. When it was all said and done, found himself in a place of power. And those who had taken advantage of him, those who had abused him, bowing before him. He had every opportunity for vengeance. Instead, he said, am I in the place of God? The evil that you meant for me, God used it for good. It was like a a giant tapestry. The front of the image is beautiful, but on the back, the threads, they're so chaotic. And if we pick out one thread, we'd say, what does this mean? What's this for? This has to be out of place. It's not until they're all put together that we see what God was up to. So Lord, in the midst of the journey, we just have to trust you. We have to do our part. Our part is to be faithful. To believe that in the end, you'll work it all out for your glory. So in the midst of our struggle today, we choose to be faithful. We choose to do our part. We choose to trust you. And we choose to forgive. Lord, for the one that's here today who has ought against his brother. Maybe it's what defines their life. It goes back many years. It's a poison that they get up every morning and they drink, hoping that the past will change. It's robbed them of their joy. It's robbed them of their hopes and dreams. It's robbed them of relationships. It's caused more problems than even they realize. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would choose to forgive they would find that they're the prisoner set free 
by the choice that they make. For the one, Lord, that's here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I think of that image that we talked about earlier of Jesus on the cross. He wasn't dying for his own sins. He was dying for my sins and your sins. He didn't have to be there. He chose to be there. He could have called down legions of angels. Instead, he chose to go to the cross for your sake and for mine. For the one that doesn't know that Jesus, today would be a good time, a good opportunity to put their faith and their trust in you, to say, Jesus, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I fall short of the glory of God. And I'm beginning to realize that the cross was atonement for my sin. And I want to receive that today. And so I choose to receive it. And now I'll begin to live for you. I'll, I'll turn from my own ways and, and begin to live for you in a way that brings glory and honor to your name. We pray that today in Jesus' name. The worship team is, is going to play. We, we kind of skipped over worship in the beginning. We saved it till the end. What I'd like to do as the, the series comes to an end is open up this altar area. So you can make your way to the front. You can come and kneel. Maybe, maybe there's a forgiveness issue. Don't leave this place. Don't leave this place without tapping into the secret of joy. Let it go. Let it go. And make it right. And you'll experience joy in a way never experienced before. It starts at the altar. If you want to just come up and stand and worship or find a place to kneel, come up and sit in the front row, make your way to the altar and let's worship him this morning. I'll watch the clock. We'll get you out on time. God bless you. Let's all sit together. Like Tom said, the altars are open. Don't let this moment pass you by to receive what you need this morning.